As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Good morning, High Point. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. High Point at home, just want to say hello. It's good. I got to give them a little bit of love, you know what I mean? Um... Have you ever been in a situation where you know what you need to do, you've, you understand some things, but for whatever reason, you kind of just lock up, you freeze? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Don't leave me hanging here, all right? Uh, maybe for some of you, it's some of the students there, it's end of the year, you've been studying for a test, and you're like, I understand these things, but you're in that moment, all of a sudden it's a big room, there's uh, a clock ticking, the teacher's watching me, the voices in my head, is that Bill Nye the science guy, or is that what I actually read? I don't remember. And you freeze, and you go, I should know this. Or maybe you're starting a new job, and you go, I've got the skills, I know how to perform the function that's in front of me, but I've got a new manager, I've got a new job description, I've got a new workplace culture, and you kind of get locked up, you're like, I'm not sure how... How should I do this? For me, this happened when I was in my 20s, my, my early 20s. I happened to live in Australia at the time. That's a whole other story. But I had the privilege to lead a team that got the chance to share the gospel to teenagers throughout the country of Australia. But that meant that somebody needed a driver's license in a foreign country. And I don't know if you guys know anything about Australia, but they drive on the other side of the road. The wheel is on the other side of the vehicle. Now, I, I know how to drive a vehicle. I'd been driving for years. I knew how to drive a stick shift. So it's, it, even that in and of itself, it's usually, you know, it's on your right-hand side. Just picture this. It's on the left-hand side now. And I'm going, the pedals are the same, but this is different. The wheel's different. And I go, and I have to take this driver's test. And I'm on the road, and I'm not sure who's supposed to yield to who. And I know the information, but I lock up, and I freeze. And needless to say, I... Failed the test. Twice. <laughs> and I didn't have the money to pay for the third test. And then there's this young woman from Chicago that happened to be on the team, and she's like, I'll pay for it. And her name's, she's now my wife. So uh, that, that moment, we weren't dating at that point, but we happened to be on the same team, and I was like, there's something special about this woman. <laughs> but we get into these situations sometimes, don't we? Even as Christians, we, we know some truths, we understand some things, but the circumstances, the situations that are in our world can kind of cause us to lock up. And we get distracted, we get sort of tossed, as Paul says, to and fro by every argument or scheme that's going on, and we get bombarded day in and day out by voices and information and thoughts and ideas. And if we don't hold fast to the truth of Scripture and the truth of who God is, we're just going to get washed over wave after wave after wave. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to discover five truths that help us understand who we are in this world. So if you're visiting with us, we've been in a series called DTR, Define the Relationship, where we're taking a little bit of time to define the relationships that we have in our life, whether it's workplace, whether it's family, whether it's with God or even the church. And this week, what we're going to do, what we're looking at is our relationship with the world. So we as Christians, what's our relationship to this world? And these are five truths that help us understand who we are 
in this world so that we don't get tossed to and fro. We don't read another blog article. We don't hear another news clip and go, oh, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, and you go all over the place. These, these anchor us to who God is and what he's asking us to do. So let's look at Romans chapter 12. If you're a note taker, go ahead and jot this down. Truth number one is our home is in heaven. This is critical for us to understand because this, this is actually going to help, help us with the trajectory of where we're going this morning. Our home is in heaven. This is the, for, the, for a believer, this is not your forever home, this world. Illinois, Chicago, obviously we're seeing that a lot of people are moving to Tennessee or Texas. They, they already know that this Chicago is not their forever home, but that is true. But according to scripture, this world is passing away and this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And home is much more than just a location. Home is where you're shaped, where you're influenced. Think about it. Think about your childhood home, where you were shaped by it. You were influenced by it. For better or for worse, our home is the place where we are shaped and we're influenced. And we can either be shaped by the world, or we can be shaped by heaven. And that's what Paul's getting at in Romans 12. Let's read this says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, verse 1, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Underline that, highlight it in your app, whatever it is, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what's perfect. What Paul's saying in verse 2 there, do not be conformed to this world, what he's saying is, hey, Christian, don't let this world be the thing that shapes and influences and conforms you to what it wants you to do. He's giving us a strong instruction, hey, this world is actively trying to shape you, actively trying to influence you. Don't be conformed to this world. And what he's implying here, he talks about a little bit further in Philippians, where he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And I love that. Our citizenship is in heaven. I don't know uh, about you, but citizenship is an interesting thing to look at. This might come as a shock to you, but I'm actually not from this country. Just let that sink in for a second. I was born and raised in Canada, and... Uh, that young woman that paid for my third driver's test, we fell in love and I said, I'm moving to wherever you are. And I moved to this country, but I was not a citizen of this country. And so I didn't have certain rights. I didn't have certain privileges. I, I couldn't work. I mean, how about like, can I ask for your daughter's hand in marriage? I know I can't work in this country yet, but I promise I will someday. But I went through the whole process, all the paperwork, all the things. That's a whole other story. But I became a citizen of this country. And with that comes some freedoms. That, with that comes the government looks at you in a different way when you're a citizen of this country. The same is true about our heavenly citizenship. We're citizens of heaven. That means that we are members of the household of God. We've been called his children. We have freedom because of who he is, and we have a home that is in heaven. 
That's the beauty of being a heavenly citizen. Maybe you're sitting here thinking or you're watching online and you're going, I don't know if I'm a citizen of heaven. Because really what we're talking about, these are truths for us as Christians to hold fast to so that we know who we are in this world. A lot of people will say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but this, this is the truth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you can have certainty today if you don't know if you have citizenship in heaven. Just even as Marcos was telling his story, understanding that God has created you and I to dwell with him, but our sin has separated us from him. And sin does not just get covered up or removed by doing better things or sitting in these seats. It's only because Jesus Christ paid the price that it removes it. His death, his burial, his resurrection gives us the opportunity to have eternal life and life with Jesus can start today and go forever. That's the gospel. So for you, if you're wondering, am I a citizen? Have you made that decision to follow Jesus and confess him as Lord of your life? Because that's an incredible truth. And what we see in this is that when we're citizens of heaven, when, when our home is in heaven, there's a freedom in that. Just a weight that rolls off. Because if we go back to the verses in verses one and two, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I can either feel like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do this. Or it can feel like, oh, my home is in heaven. And because my home is in heaven, I will gladly worship him with my body. I will present my body as a living sacrifice because this world is not my home. It goes on to say, renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It can be easy to go, I've got anxiety, I've got doubt, I've got fear, that the things that wave and wave and wave over us. But when we're looking at this world as our home, you're gonna get hit over and over and over again. But when our home is in heaven, I will actively renew my mind because of who he is. And what it promises is that there's actually transformation that happens when we renew our minds. How easy it is for us to get focused on right here. And I wanna call us to, to, to lift our eyes. Our home is in heaven. It goes on even to say that we can discern what the will of God is. And when my, my home is in heaven, I will pursue his will, not my own. That's an incredible truth for us to hold fast to. To help us understand who we are in this world. This world is not it. This is not the end all. Like I said, we know some of these things, but it's easy when circumstances in life gets going how we can lock up and we can freeze and we can miss what this truth is. So if this world is not our home, then what are we to do with the world that we live in? I'm so glad you asked that question. That's exactly where we're going. Let's, truth number two is that our mission is this world. Our mission is this world. So we have a heavenly citizenship, but we've got an earthly mission. Kind of like the, the, the field is to the farmer, the basketball court is to LeBron James, love him or hate him. The garage is to the mechanic, to the coffee shop is to my soul. Um, God has sent us to this earth for a mission. 
It's not to just kind of like wash our hands of it. Well, my home's in heaven, so I don't really have to do anything here. No, we've been given a heavenly citizenship and an earthly mission to live out. And we're going to look here in Romans 12, kind of scroll down or flip the page in verse 9. We're going to see five different actions that come out of living on mission. Actions that show that we're living on mission. So let's, let's look at this in verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another. I'm going to put some emphasis on that. There's, he says it twice. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's a result of loving one another. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. There's action number two. Rejoice, verse 12, in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice, there it is again, with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I love this because this is a, in that verse, it's not just a, great, I'm going to rejoice, but I'm going to be present with someone in the good and the bad. That's incredible. That's living on mission. Weeping with those who weep. As we've said, this is Memorial Day week, and there are many who have lost loved ones who have laid down their life for this country, and we can come alongside. We can weep with those who weep. Let's keep reading. It says, all of these things allow us to live in harmony. In verse 16, these actions that are living on ministry allow us to live in harmony with one another. It says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you. And here's the result. When we live these things out, live peaceably with all. What I love about this, this passage is really what it's describing is the actions that Jesus lived out. We have a mission from God, and that mission is to point people to Jesus, and we point people to Jesus by living like Jesus. I mean, look at the, 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 the list of these things. We have love, we have serve, rejoice, contribute, bless. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with someone like that who's doing these things? Who wouldn't want a neighbor like this? But here's the reality is we're not called to know people like this. We're called to be people like this as the church. So much so that there ought to be people that are asking us, man, in a world that is so filled with so much hate, how do you have so much joy? And in a world that is consumed with selfishness and how do I obtain more for myself, how is it that you are serving others? In, in, in a world where Everything is overflowing with argumentative language and complaining, dragging people down. How is it that you choose to rejoice even when you've been wronged? How is it that you're choosing to bless and contribute to others in a world like this? And we ought to be able to respond with a resounding, it's only because of Jesus. Because we want to point them to Jesus. The only reason we can live like this is because of Jesus. The mission that he's given us is to live in such a way that we're pointing people to the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. But we have a tendency to drift, don't we? We drift from living on mission in these ways. 
I know I have, especially in the last year and a half. How easy it is to kind of look inwardly, to, to focus on what I'm going through, what I need, what is going on in my family, and I'm not thinking outwardly about this world as my mission field, my neighbors, my coworkers. How do I show love? How do I serve them? How do I rejoice? How do I contribute? How do I bless them? This is an opportunity for us. Where have you drifted? And where do you want to realign? Author uh, Alan Hirsch wrote it this way about living on mission. He says, if we're going to impact our world in the name of Jesus, it'll be because people like you and me, this is very real, like you and me, it's because we took action in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ever since the mission and ministry of Jesus, God has never stopped calling for a movement of little Jesuses that would follow him into the world and unleash the remarkable, redemptive genius that lies in the very message we carry. That's living on mission. We're called to be little Jesuses that go out into every neighborhood, every community, showing the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about as a church. That's why we... You know, sometimes we go, why are we doing more locations as a church? Because we want more people to see the good news of Jesus Christ in every community. It's why we've got Stateville Prison. It's why we're launching St. Charles. It's why we're launching Hinsdale. Because we want to be living on mission. We've got a heavenly citizenship, and we've got an earthly mission that God is calling us to live out. But that only happens when you and I embrace this as our mission. Sometimes it's easy to look at the church. Okay, cool, that's the church's job. They're gonna, they're gonna go tell everybody about Jesus. This only happens when you and I live this out day in and day out. Tuesday at 3 p.m. in your meeting, whatever it is, as you're driving, as you're at the coffee shop, how do we live out being like Jesus? Where have we drifted? And where is God calling us to get back on course and living on mission? Let's keep going. Truth number three, our God is in control. Our God is in control. This is a truth that you've probably heard if you've been around church at any amount of time, you've heard, oh yeah, God's in control. God's in control. What we need to remember and understand with this truth so that we can live from this truth. And it's a timely truth for who Paul was writing to at this point, and what's fascinating is it's timely now. It says this, we can say a lot about this whole passage in Romans chapter 13, you can kind of keep going in your Bible. Romans chapter 13, I want us to kind of zoom in on the second sentence in verse one, it says, there is no authority except from God. And the context of this passage is all about governing authorities. And Paul's hitting on some pretty important things because there were some tyrants that were living in those days. And he's talking about how do we live in submission to the governing authorities of that time. It's amazing how the, the word of God, the truth that's in these pages applied to first century and applies to us in 2021. Our God is the one that's in control, and he's actively using existing systems and authorities, whether good or bad, for his glory and for our good. He is in control, period. 
So even as we look in these verses, it says in verse one, it goes on to say, those that exist have been instituted by God. These governing authorities have been instituted by God. I thought I voted that person. No, they've been instituted by God. I thought he just took over the, the, the rulership. No, they've been instituted by God. It goes on to say in verse two that he is the one that appoints them. It goes on in verses four and five, and it actually talks about that these are individuals that are servants of God. Whether they're living for their own good, their own benefit, they're serving God's purpose. And this is something that we need to be reminded of. Because it's easy to get caught up in, well, I'm looking to this political party to save me. I'm looking to this agenda to save me. I'm looking to this policy No, God is the one who's in control. And when we keep our eyes fixed on the fact that our home is in heaven, we've got a mission to live out here. He's the one who's in control. We can have assurance as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's easy to go, oh yeah, God's in control when things are going well. Like when, when things happen and, and it's going well in my life or the things that I'm looking for, it, go, oh, yeah, God's in control. You know? Health screen came back clean. The prodigal child came home. It's easy to go, God's in control. But what about when things are not going well? What about when you get a call that says the cancer's come back? What about when God clearly answers no? Can we still say that God's in control? I don't know what your situation is. I don't know where you are at right now, but there are things that probably are going on in your life where you go, it doesn't feel like God is in control. You guys have probably heard, but back April 9th this year, La Souvrière, the volcano in St. Vincent erupted. We have High Point St. Vincent that we had just announced literally days before, hey, we're, we're launching this location in High Point in St. Vincent, and days later, a volcano erupts. Suddenly, people are now displaced. People don't have safe water sources. They don't have safe food sources. People are having to leave their homes, and there's then on top of it, flooding that begins to happen. They're trying to put people in different shelters so that they can at least have a place, a, a shelter over their head. And Pastor Al, who's the pastor down there, was in charge of and responsible for some of those shelters. And even in the midst of where things looked chaotic, things looked difficult, things looked hard, they turned to him and they worshiped with joy. They prayed with faith. They served others joyfully. And what's incredible is that they seized the opportunity to go, hey, these people need hope. So Pastor Al, being Pastor Al, he's going to be here this summer. You're going to hear from him, but he begins to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And people start coming to know Jesus as a result of being displaced from their homes in the midst of soot and ash that's covering an entire island. People are coming to know their eternal destination has now been altered because of something that was horrific. God is in control even in the hardest circumstances. 
Even in the difficult times, God is the one who is in control and he's at work and we might not see it, but he is at work. We have this sort of microscopic view and and all we see is what's going on in my life and this doesn't feel good. God, I don't understand why this is happening to me. But he sees the bigger picture. He's the one who's in control. The reality is that the volcano is still erupting. It's not that it's like stopped and everything's great now. It's continuing to go. They're still in the midst of this difficulty. I don't know where you are what volcanoes are erupting in your life this week. Can I just say, God is in control. That's not just a throwaway statement. This is a truth that we can hold fast to, to help us understand who we are in this world. Can we trust him? We can. Let's keep going. Flip back, actually, to Romans 11, because truth number four is that our Savior is unifying his people. Our Savior is unifying his people. This is a a truth that is both powerful and significant, because where sin wants to separate, God wants to unify. So let's read this passage in, in Romans 11, verses 23 and 24, and Even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So unless you're like a horticulturalist um, and you know what this all means, you might be going, what did we just read? I heard a lot of trees, I heard a lot of grafting, and who, well, who is this talking about? And really this was written to help explain that the people of God, the Israelites, then there were Gentiles who were professing faith in Jesus Christ. And there was a significant division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And what Paul's beginning to say is like, hey, just, just like this picture of a tree Being grafted into another tree is the way that you and I have been grafted into the family, the children of God. So take a look at this. Yeah, we got, I don't know how this happened, but it was apparently the Lord wanted to use it for this illustration exactly. So you've got two trees on either side of this thing and coming together and becoming one. And grafting is this opportunity for us to no longer be divided, but because of who Jesus Christ is, we are unified together as one. That is what Christ did by going to the cross, to unify you and me. God is unifying his people. And why is it, though, that it doesn't feel like that? It doesn't feel like we're being unified. We see division In the church, we see division in our world. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission that only he could complete. He went to a cross so that he would restore our relationship with the Father and then be unifying you and I. Ephesians 3, you don't have to flip there, but I'm going to read this to you, speaks of what 
Jesus accomplished on the cross. This is Ephesians chapter two. It says, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off, that's you and me, all of us were far off. We have been brought near because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's incredible news. He has provided a way for you and I to be unified in Christ. And he's reconciled us to the Father and he's reconciled us to one another. One theologian wrote that if you had 100 pianos, doesn't matter what make or model, who made it, how old it is, doesn't matter. If they're all tuned to the same tuning fork, they're going to be in tune with one another. And that's the reality is that when you and I, when we're in tune with the Father, when we're in tune with Jesus, we're going to be in tune with one another. But what happens is we fight against God's heart. We look across the aisle or we see people and I don't agree with their background. I don't like the way that they voted. I don't like this. And we cause division where God is saying, no, I've brought you together. I'm holding you close to me and I'm holding you close to one another. I've gone to the cross so that the two of you could be one. That's the good news of the gospel. He is unifying. He has unified us. He is unifying and he's going to continue to unify Let's not be the ones that are fighting against what he's worked for and what he's continuing to work for. Pastor Ron has said this a number of times. This is his prayers that this church would be a, a church that's more diverse than the neighborhood that we live in. Why? Because that's the picture of what eternity is going to look like. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is going to be declaring the praises of Jesus Christ. And we want this church to look like that. We want to be unified in that. That's what he has done and how we can be a part of this. Are we actively fighting against it or are we working with him in it? Which leads us to our final point that our soul longs for a homecoming. This is the picture that we want to see because we want it to represent and resemble what it will be in eternity. It says this in Ecclesiastes that our eternity has been written on our hearts. We have a longing that's in our hearts. And that longing is actually to be with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator. And what we end up doing is we try to fill everything in this world to fill that longing and it leaves us empty, leaves us lost. Let's do this, let's, for this last point, turn to Revelation 21. Our souls long for a homecoming. And with eternity written on our hearts, with this, this deep need in us, do you feel that longing in your heart? Revelation 21, verse 1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Does your soul long for that? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Does your soul long for this? 
I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. My soul is longing for that day. It says he will dwell with them and they will be his people. You and I, followers of Jesus Christ, will be his people with him forever. Does your soul long for this? To be rid of the sin, the burdens, the difficulties of this life, to just be free of it. It says, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Does your soul long for a homecoming? And I love this. Just imagine with me. And he who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus. He who is seated on the throne says this, behold, I am making all things new. I'm longing for the day where he's going to make all things new. Where this war that goes on in my heart for the flesh and for the things of this world that keep drawing us into it, trying to fill that longing with cheap things that don't satisfy. There is deep satisfaction that comes from dwelling in the presence of our Lord forevermore. Does your soul long for a homecoming? These are truths that we need to understand to know who we are as followers of Jesus Christ in this world. And when we begin to fix our eyes on him, all of a sudden the things that are going on around us, they lose the power because we can look to him and go, "I've I've got a home that's in heaven. And I know that my God is in control. I know that he's at work, he is unifying his people. He's given me a mission to live out here. Man, when, when I get there one day, all things will be made new. Why don't we do this? Why don't you stand to your feet? And I want us to just repeat these things out. I want us to almost, in a sense, declare out these reminders to us to help us understand because when the things of this world come, they are going to come. If they haven't come already, they're going to come. And we need to understand these truths so that we don't get tossed to and fro. So repeat after me, our home is in heaven. Our Our mission is this world. Our Our God is in control. Our Our Savior is unifying his people. Our Our soul longs for a homecoming. Let me pray. Oh yeah. Repeat it. Thank you. (laughs) Let me pray for us now. Father, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf, that we could not fulfill ourselves. Help us to understand these things. We don't want to freeze. We don't want to lock up. We don't want to be incapacitated because of the things of this world. We want to look to you and see that we have a home in heaven. We want to live out the mission that you've laid before us because our soul is longing to spend eternity with you. And we want to see other people come to know you. We want to see Christ be magnified in this place. And we want to see him magnified for eternity. We declare these things in Jesus' name. Amen.